you ever feel that you would achieve so much more if you could just get out of your own way? Most people fail to succeed not because of external factors, but because they let their own fears prevent them from even trying. Tony Robbins has spent over 40 years looking into the patterns that stop us from succeeding and those that lead us to get the life that we want. He created Personal Power 2 to help guide his own career, relationships, health, and finances. These are the foundational strategy that he's used to trigger growth and change also in professional athletes, world leaders, and top business leaders. Leaders like Dana White, president of the UFC, who in today's episode, you'll hear talk about the impact personal power had on his life. For podcast listeners, we'd like to offer you this incredible product for 20% less than retail price. With this 30-day program, you'll create unstoppable confidence and live life on your terms. That's right. If you're listening right now, you can go to TonyRobbins.com slash power up. That's TonyRobbins.com forward slash P-O-W-E-R-U-P and enter promo code UFC19 to get a 20% discount on the product that will help you achieve real results. This offer expires May 30th, 2019. In this episode of the Tony Robbins Podcast, we're bringing you to Business Mastery, where Tony interviews the business leaders behind some of today's fastest growing companies. You're going to have a front row seat as Tony sits down with Dana White, the current president of the Ultimate Fighting Championship, or UFC. The man who took the once fledgling organization from near bankruptcy to a globally popular multi-billion dollar enterprise. He's outspoken, he's charismatic, he's unabashedly unapologetic, It's fair to say there are not many leaders of major sporting organizations quite like Dana White. He comes from humble beginnings in the Northeast, and his fight to the top was an unlikely one, and nothing short of a roller coaster ride. Dana talks to Tony about the serendipitous mix of events that catapulted him from the bottom all the way to the top of the UFC, and the risky decisions he made along the way that led the UFC to its ultimate comeback, like the decision to embrace regulation instead of run from it, to move away from pay-per-view and broadcast fights on free TV, and perhaps the biggest decision of all, the one that changed the face of the sport to allow female fighters into the organization. Dana has achieved success on a massive scale. He sold UFC for a whopping $4 billion back in 2017. But his fight is not over. And as he tells Tony in this special interview, he feels he hasn't even scratched the surface of his total impact. Let's get down to business. You take on a business that is in tatters, near bankruptcy. In 15 years, you build it and sell it for four billion. You still run it. It's the most amazing story, but I'd like to start earlier. I'd like to know about Dana White as a boy. I'd like to know when you're down in Southie, you told me the other day you had no money, (laughs) trying to figure out what to do. And I know at that time, tell us a little bit about your childhood, but tell us a little bit about what formed you. And I I believe that decisions are what shape our destiny more than the environment. Conditions are one thing, decisions are everything. You made a decision at 19 years old working at a hotel that changed your life as well. So tell us a little bit about your background and tell us about that decision, if you would. Yeah, no, you're you're dead right. I, uh, you know, I didn't grow up with money. We, we, we weren't rich by any means, but uh, I, I knew I wasn't going to college. I knew that wasn't a reality, and I didn't really want to go to college. One of the things that I was very lucky in my life with is I knew exactly what I wanted to do. From the time I was a young age, I knew I wanted to be in the fight business, and people thought I was crazy. 
Because when you look at different, at the time when I grew up, I'm, I just turned 49 years old. When, when I was growing up, you had Don King, Bob Arum. These guys were the, were the big promoters uh, in the fight game. And, and, you know, everybody was set in their ways. They, they, they didn't think that, uh, you know, the fight business could change. Yeah. And I, uh, I believed it could. I had a lot of ideas, and I believed I could, I could change the business. And I, was, I worked in Boston at a place called the Boston Harbor Hotel. What's up, Boston? You know the Boston Harbor Hotel. I was a bellman in there. I was 19 years old. I made good money. You know, there's some guys that get those jobs, and those are the type of jobs they, they, they you know, they're Stay lifers. They, they want those jobs forever. And it's a good job. It's not yep. a bad job. Yep. It just wasn't for me. And uh, I was literally standing in the lobby one day, and I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? What am I doing here? This isn't me. This isn't what I want. And I walked out the front door, and one of my good friends, he's still one of my good friends today, who was the doorman, says, uh, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm quitting. And he's like, he's like, what? What are you going to do? I said, I want to be in the fight business. He said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and uh, he's glad I didn't take his advice. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I always knew what I wanted to do. And every day... When I woke up, I would work toward that goal. I'll tell you guys a story. This is completely not a setup at all, I swear to God. And this is the first time I'm talking to him about this. But I, I didn't even have a car. I, I, had a, I had a mountain bike that I, you know, rode everywhere in town with. And I had a Walkman. For those young kids, you don't know what a Walkman is. But <laughs> I, I had a Walkman. And I used to listen to uh, Awaken the Giant Within. And I, I swear to God, I swear to God... <laughs> And personal power. I listened to both <laughs> of those tapes. Awesome, Swear to God, I, I was, and and I actually used to buy them for people for gifts. Really? I used to give them away as gifts to people. Wow. And everything That's that was in cool. there is absolutely true, makes sense, and applies to everybody's life. It it, it really does. This is not a setup. I swear to God, this is the truth. That's and awesome. and he and I have never talked about this, yes. but yes. Oh, that really touches yeah, my heart. I'm thrilled to hear that was there at that time for you. Tell me, when you, you practice part of what I teach there also, because when you left, you went and found somebody who was the best in the business at that time, the fighting business, or one of them in Boston. And I understand you modeled him, but you were willing to do anything. Kerry Spit, do, tell me a little bit about how you formed your initial understandings of the fight business. So, yeah, so there was a kid in, in Boston. His name was Peter Welsh. And he's actually like a street fighting and boxing legend in town. Okay. And everybody had heard of him. And I literally sought this guy out. I went to him and I said, I, wanna, I know this is crazy, you don't know me, but I wanna work with you. You don't have to pay me. I wanna learn everything that, that, that you can teach yeah. about the fight game. And I worked under this guy for like three years. Wow. And I did everything from, you know, from boxing to corner work. I was a referee in, in, in fights. Um, I managed guys, everything you could possibly do uh, in the fight business. I, I did, I've done everything except uh, score a fight. I've never been a judge. Wow. Wait, what, did you um, what were one or two things you learned from them that were formative for you that really shaped you in that area? Everything. I, everything I learned from that guy. I, can, I consider, you know how in martial arts you have a sensei? This guy was my sensei cool. in the fight game. Yeah. And, and uh, he, you know, he took me under his wing and, you know, no, nothing bad with having a guy that works for you that you don't have to pay either. That doesn't suck. <laughs> so, you know, I, I worked hard for this guy. I learned everything. And, uh, 
And then, I, you know, I eventually moved out to Vegas. Well, stop there. I heard a story, I don't know if it's true, that some guys from, <laughs> uh, from the mob came to try yeah. and extract some money from you. Yeah. And that's why you left. And is that true? And then yeah. why did you pick so, Vegas? So all the Boston guys will remember Whitey Bulger and other people too. Who, yes, of course. So Whitey Bulger had a guy who worked under him, and his name was Kevin Weeks. And I was actually teaching a boxing class at the, at the, uh, at the club in town. And these guys walked right in the middle of my class. And they're like, uh, hey, we need to talk to you. And I said, I'm teaching a class here. And they're like, eh, we need to talk to you outside. <laughs> so I said, what if this Same guy owns a club or something? I don't know who he was. So we walk outside, and he's like, uh, yeah, you owe me money. I said, I don't even know you. How do I owe you money? He goes, you don't know me? And once he started talking like that, I was like, oh, no, this, this is not good. So, yeah, they wanted $2,500 from me. I was doing business in, in town. And... Uh, I didn't have it. I told him I don't have the money. He goes, well, you better come up with it. By when? Yeah. So. <laughs> Did he give you a few days? Or no, I, I never, I didn't, uh, months went by. Oh, wow. Months went by. And one day I got a call at my apartment. And it was somebody on the phone said, you owe us that money and you owe it to us tomorrow. And it was a Saturday. I, and, and they're saying I owed it to him on Sunday. I said, I don't have it. And they said, well, you better come up with it. And uh, I said, or what? He said, are you going to find out? I literally hung up the phone, picked it back up, and called Delta and got a one-way ticket to Vegas. <laughs> that, was a big, that was a big decision. Obviously, you had some urgency. I left my couch, my stereo, my TV. My, I left everything. I literally And why, and why Vegas at that time? Why did you well, pick Vegas? I had, I'd grown up here. I'd grown oh, you've been here Vegas. before. Yeah. That's right. Okay. I was in Boston for almost 10 years. I, I went back there when I was 17. Okay, got and, it. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I left everything there. I flew out here. And I'm, like a couple months later is when all that stuff happened. They started digging up the bodies at the beach. He fled, yeah, and the whole thing came crumbling yeah. down like months later. Wow. You know, you know, when you're home and you watch like Goodfellas and mafia movies and stuff, it's fun. It's not fun when it's really happening. It's actually, <laughs> it's not fun at all. Well, you come to Vegas, and then here's the other crazy part of the story. You went to school with Lorenzo, your right. partner now, and I guess you reconnected at a wedding. Is that, tell us a little about how that how it been, because it's so interesting how these little steps along the way all come together to make something possible. Yeah, so a buddy of mine, Lorenzo Fertitta, we went to school together, and uh, when I came back to Vegas, a mutual friend had a wedding, and we both went to the wedding. We bumped into each other, and he had just got on the Nevada State Athletic Commission, and he heard that I was doing boxing out here, and, and uh, he said, I want to hook up and start training. So we got together on that Monday, which was in 1995, and we've been together ever since. Wow. So, yeah. That's really cool. Um, but you were friends in high school as well. What's that? You were friends in high school? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we knew each other in we high school. Close. It's not like we were, got it. we were best friends and hung yeah. out. Plus, you know how that works in life. You graduate from high school and everybody goes and does their thing. Yeah. And the people that you want to reconnect with, you end up reconnecting with later on in life. That, so, that sort of happened to us. So UFC comes about, you, know, you didn't create the UFC, it already existed and it was in trouble. And I understand you found it was in trouble because you were managing some fighters mm -hmm. and you had like a lawsuit or something. And tell us a little bit about that. So there was, the, the owner of the UFC at the time was a guy named Bob Meyerowitz out of New York. And uh, I managed Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz. Yeah, no Chuck, yeah. Yep. And we got into a huge battle over Tito Ortiz's contract. And through that, one day on the phone, it just all erupted. And he said, you know what? There is no more money. It's all over. This, 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 this thing's in trouble. I don't even know if I have enough money to put on one more show. 
Wow. And I said, interesting. Uh, okay. So we hung up. I called Frank and Lorenzo. They were in, who had become my partners, and they were in Florida at the time. They own station casinos here in Las Vegas, local casino. And uh, I said, the UFC's in trouble, and I think we should buy it. I think we could buy this thing. We started making some calls. A month later, we bought the UFC for $2 million. $2 million. And sold it for? $4.025 billion. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up. So 15 years later, you sell for $4 billion. But you know, people hear that and they go, oh, what a lucky son of a bitch. And you know damn well, you, there might be some grace in there, but it wasn't just luck. You busted your ass. And three years into it, was it 2000, what was it, three, four? You guys were, you'd burned through $30 million, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Right. right. It, was, it, was, it was close to $40 million. $40 million. Yeah. And what was so the So we bought it for $2 million. You hear $4 billion, that sounds great. But the burn of almost $40 million was not fun and it was painful. And it's, it, it, you know, and what did Lorenzo and Frank say about that? Was yeah, there a yeah, point said, when they were at a breaking yeah, point? Yeah. Lorenzo called me one, uh, one day and said, uh, I can't keep doing this, man. I can't keep burning all this cash. And uh, I need you to get out there and find out what you could sell this thing for. So that day I made a bunch of calls. That night I call him when he's on his way home and I said, you know what? <laughs> Maybe six, seven million bucks. We're in almost 40. I think I could get six or seven million. And uh, he said, okay. I'll call you tomorrow. He called me the next day. What were you and, thinking that night? Oh, shit. I, you know, I, first, the first thing you think is, man, I just blew $40 million of my friend's money. Yeah. That's the first thing you think, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, th that's not fun. Then I, <laughs> then the fact that you've put all this time and energy into it and, uh, and, and, it, and it just doesn't work. It, it, you know, it, it didn't work the way that you thought it would. Yeah. Then he called me back the next day and said, fuck it. Let's keep going. Wow. I said, okay. Wow. I, Talk about I decisions, like huh? Yeah. And that decision was different. You look at how life would be so different for I'm all of you. I'm literally quoting him. That's what he said to me. He said, he said what? Fuck it. Let's keep going. Oh, that's that's awesome. a quote. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. You guys so must have talked we, about we, that date later well, on, huh? It's one of the things. When you have a business... First of all, when, when you have a business idea, um, there's always going to be detractors and people that think, you know, it won't work. You're always going to have those people around you and in your life, even when you're successful, believe me. It gets worse when you're successful. Um, then, you know, you have to get to a point where you don't doubt yourself. You're so into this thing and you know that it's going to work. Timing is everything in life. Timing is everything. And... When we got into this business, boxing was starting to decline, and, and, and uh, you know, a lot of the big championships and the guys who held titles were in Europe, not in the United States yeah. anymore. Um, you know, boxing had gotten so greedy over, over the last 30 years um, that the business actually started to shrink. Yeah. And the younger generation, because this thing was only on pay-per-view, the younger generation didn't become fans of boxing. So we took the exact opposite approach. We went back. We wanted to get this thing on free television, put great fights on free TV again, let the younger people become fans of, of, of these fighters and their personalities, um, and have a limited number of fights on pay-per-view. Yeah. So that, that was our strategy. We believed it was a good strategy. And we also believed, my, my philosophy was always this. Now, now, if you look at the NFL, 
the biggest thing in, in, in the United States. It's huge, right? Everybody watches the Super Bowl. And there's a ton of sports that we all grew up with, right? In other parts of the world, it's the same. But in other parts of the world, the NFL isn't big like it is here. Can anybody in this room right now tell me who the greatest cricket player to ever live is? <laughs> you got an international audience, so you do. <laughs> How many people are here? How many 20, people? 2,200. There's 2,200. Four people know the answer. Countries. You know why? Because other than these four people, you don't give a shit. <laughs> you didn't grow up playing it. You don't understand the rules. And those four guys probably feel the same way about the NFL. But fighting, fighting, fighting happens everywhere. Fighting works everywhere. I don't care what color you are, what country you come from, or what language you speak. Fighting is in our DNA. We get it and we like it. We're human beings. It just works. And, and I was very passionate about that. And I really, truly believed in that. It's, it's true. If you think about the most famous athletes to ever walk the face of this earth. Ali. Ali. Does anybody in this room not know Mike Tyson? Who in this room doesn't know Bruce Lee? Bruce Lee died in the early 70s and people still know who he is. Kids still know who Bruce Lee is because we are fascinated by who the toughest guy in the world is. If a guy walks in and you're from any part of the world, right, and you look and you go, oh, that's the guy, that guy is the greatest guy in the United States who throws a ball through a circle. <laughs> that guy right there is the greatest guy to hit a ball with a stick, right? That guy over there is the heavyweight champion of the world, and he can kick everybody's ass in this room. <laughs> right? We go, holy shit. That guy could kick all our asses, right? You just there's just something about it in our in, in the way that we're made up as human beings that we are attracted to that since the beginning of time, and it will be like that to the end of time, and that is what I believed. As weird as that is, and that was our philosophy in building this business. That's pretty awesome. Give a hand. That's awesome. <laughs> and your passion is just as strong today, brother. Not an ounce less, man. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> Tell me how important it was to maybe from a marketing perspective and to get people involved to have some of these superstars. You know, Chuck was a friend of mine as well. I got a chance, you know, after he lost those two fights before 2007, I worked with him in December there when he had Silva. So I got to know him well. And he's, he's a lovable guy. People love him. How important was that? Tell me about that. How did you help build those personalities? Was it the reality show that did it? What really made the difference? And then tell us about bringing women to it. Because a lot of people would say, my God, women yeah. fighting like that? Are you crazy? Huge. Huge. The ladies obviously agree. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously, when, when I was looking at this thing, I had been in boxing for a long time, and the guys in boxing all had the same story. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for boxing, I'd be dead or in jail, and yeah. you know, it was all sort of that same t type of uh, storyline coming out. When I started to meet the guys from the UFC, you know, the, the, most of these guys graduated from college, yeah. and uh, they had families, and they were really, because I think we have this, or at, at that time, had this idea of what an ultimate fighter was. These guys fight in cages. They must be crazy animals, and it was the complete opposite. They were absolute martial artists who had been training their whole lives to become the best at what they did, and, and ho someday hope to be a world champion, it, it, and, and they had great stories. For those of you that remember Matt Hughes, he was the farm boy from the Midwest, and, you know, he walked out to a country boy can't survive. 
When's the last time you saw a boxer walk out to a country boy can't survive? It ain't <laughs> happening. And, 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 you know, they reach a completely different group of people. Then you had Chuck Liddell. You had Tito Ortiz. You had Randy Couture. You had all these guys. Um, and it was different. It was yeah. just different. And yeah. it was fun. And the style of fighting was exciting. And we saw that. And, and, and the, old, the old owner ran from regulation. So if somebody tried to regulate the sport, he'd move the fight down to Alabama where there was no regulation or over to this place or that place. We did the exact opposite. We ran toward regulation. This many people want to see a freak show. This many people want to see a real sporting event talk, with talk real athletes. Talk about that for a moment. For those who didn't see the original UFC, where it was a, it truly was a blood battle. There were no rules, really. You could right. kick somebody in the groin. You could knee them in the right. face. Tell it. How did you, when you saw what was going on, how did you decide to shift it? And what were some of the most important shifts you made that made it so somebody like ESPN, you know, the Disney Channel owns them, right. and they wouldn't publish you. And, you know, Mary, my right arm, did one of the first articles on the UFC. Yeah, oh, no, yeah, I just yeah, saw her you, back yeah, there. I just saw yeah. Mary back there. Yeah. And she was telling me, it was like, people were like, this is insane, oh, you yeah. can't put this on the air. Tell us how you changed that image and what were some of the structural changes that you made. It's some of those, the ones you're just describing, it sounds Absolutely. like. Absolutely. We ran toward regulation. Um, you know, when you... You're never gonna you're never gonna beat the government. Okay, let me tell you this: when you when you get involved in your business and your business starts to grow and everything else, and the things that come at you, the government came after us and called us a monopoly. We built we took this business from zero to where it was. We create zillions of dollars in taxes, all these different things, you know, all these people that all the people that we employ all over the world, that when we go into the economic impact we have on cities, when we go into their cities, all this stuff, we're a monopoly now. We're being looked at as monopoly. So we're spending, we're spending, you know, seven, eight million dollars a year trying to defend ourselves from the government wow. as a monopoly. Wow. That the, these type of things happen. And, and I could go on forever. You just you go in you do the right thing, and you just you, you pay your money, and you just take your lumps when you own a business. You don't try to fight these guys. You just, you just roll with the punches, and you do what you're supposed to do. So we went in, and we met with California, Nevada, New York, um, New Jersey, and the list goes on and on. Everywhere that had a real strong, um, uh, you know, um, regulation. Regulation. Yeah. Everybody that had strong regulation. Um, we went in and met with. Yeah. We educated them on the sport, and we started to open up and, and, and getting this regulated in all the different cities. And, and then we started to go to other parts of the world and get it regulated, and the, and the list goes on and on. Then I had to fly from state to state and meet with all the reporters. You start meeting with the, uh, you know, from the New York Times to the this, that. Local sports reporters who cover sports yeah. every night yeah. in, in, in your hometowns. I literally flew around the whole country doing this for years, yeah. and nothing happens overnight. It's it's all uh, it's, it's all, an accumulation it's all work, of all man. that you've done. Yeah, man. you just you just have to keep grinding every day. Every day you get up, and it's you know for for us to to, to make this happen with the UFC, it was really all about education. Yeah, and I always knew two things: if I brought these athletes in and you met them, you would realize the type of people that they are, and right. they're not what you expected them to be. Right, and if I ever got you to a live event. Nobody walks out of a live event and goes, yeah, I don't ever want to see one of these again. That's true. That's so, the energy is unbelievable. I knew, I knew if I could get you at least to get, whether you were a sponsor or a TV network executive or whatever it was, if I could get you to the live event, I got you. What were some of the rule changes you made, though, that it so wasn't a blood sport anymore? <laughs> and 
Tell me about bringing women to it. When you first thought of that, what was the reaction? What was, why did you decide to do it? Well, some of the rule changes, we, first of all, the, you know, we took out the, the easy ones, you know, the, the low-hanging fruit, you know, no headbutting, no striking to the groin, no eye gouging, no, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. this, this the easy stuff. You know, if you look at the sport, right, in the sport you can punch, right? Boxing is an Olympic sport. Uh, you can kick. Kickboxing, you know, is, is an Olympic sport. Uh, you could pick people up and slam them. Wrestling is, is an Olympic sport. Uh, you could throw guys or do submissions. Judo is an Olympic sport. So all these different things were already things that we did, and they were already an Olympic sport and approved. So we tried to stay within those boundaries. What about women? What about women? Bringing them in. So, How did people respond when you first came up with the idea? Why did you decide? What was the drive for you to this? Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey was the reason. <laughs> so there was, there's, a, there's a very famous quote from me that TMZ got. They, they said, when are women going to fight in the UFC? And I said, never. And that, they play that thing every 30 seconds now <laughs> and, and, and rub it in my face. But I'll tell you this. About 17 years ago, I went to this small show up in Northern California and these two women were fighting. One woman was incredibly talented. The other woman looked like she took six Tybo classes, okay? And it was very lopsided. Let me put it to you that way. And I was like, first of all, at that point in my career, I was trying to get people to accept the men, you know? <laughs> yes. people, the, the men were, you know, people had a problem with the men fighting like yes. this. Yes. So I, I was like, there's no way I can put women in there. But the one thing that I never saw coming, and I don't think anybody did, I mean, obviously, it's a completely different world now. Women are in a much different place than when we were growing up, yes. you know? Um, we're in a place now, yeah. <laughs> we're in a place now, you know, boys played sports, women played with dolls and played house and all that stuff. Man, that ain't the world we're in right now. Yeah. The, 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 women are in a place now, women can do anything. Women can be anything, do anything. <laughs> including fight um, and fight very well so I met Ronda Rousey she came up to me and said can I talk to you at, at one of the events we went back in my room we started talking and I don't know 20 minutes into the conversation I said to myself holy shit I'm actually considering this right now <laughs> and 45 minutes after I walked out of that meeting and called my partner Lorenzo and I said you're not going to believe this, but I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. I, I think this is the woman to do with it, to, to do it with, and, and, and I'm going to give it a shot. And wow. Yeah. The, the women are so technical and so good that, you know, the women's fights right now outrate the men's. The, the women's really? fights. Oh, wow. wow. I, I can't, if I put on a card and there aren't women on it, people are like, how do you not have a women's fight on this card? I'm like, we have three divisions for women right now. I can't put women on every single card that we have, but yeah, it's getting there. That's great. Yeah, That's it's, amazing. It's incredible. And, and what was I don't it about, know, what was you it know, about her? We've all seen her now. No, but what was it what you felt when you had that brief meeting in those first 20 minutes? What'd she say? What'd she demonstrate that shifted you so much? Well, you know, it, it, when you think about, when you talk about manifesting your own destiny yes, and yes. talking about, you know, <laughs> that is Ronda Rousey. That is Conor McGregor. Yes. That is any of these successful people that you meet 
That's who they are and that's exactly what they do. It's a fact. She, she sat there and laid out and told me exactly how her career was going to go. Conor McGregor laid out and told me exactly how his career was going to go. These type of people, it's, 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 it's real. It's absolutely real, and, and I've seen it many, many times in my yes. life. Tell, let's talk about, you know, we talk about, uh, Peter Drucker said, all business really is is innovation and marketing. That employs everything else. Innovation, finding a better way to meet your customers' needs, marketing, getting them to want to do business with you. When you're marketing a fight, you're a genius at it. I mean, Mary was telling me when she went to a fight years ago, and I think it was uh, Courtier versus somebody else, and the guy was really huge, and he was older, and yet you, there's this, this question in people's mind, is it possible? Tell us a little about how you think about sports marketing or, or, or fight marketing, per se. Yeah. And then tell us about Conor McGregor a little bit, if you would. Well, well and what, what about Conor? About Conor as yeah, well, yeah. afterwards. So, so when, when, when a fight is happening, the other thing that makes fighting so big is that everybody's an expert, okay? Yeah. Everybody's an expert on fighting. We've all seen kids fight in the playground and this and that, and everybody has an opinion. If you, Again, I'm going to go back to cricket, unfortunately, for the five people here that know about cricket, but <laughs> it, it's the best thing I could talk about in the United States. You know, if I asked you guys to break down the cricket match this weekend, I have no idea. I'll pick the guys in the red, you know? <laughs> um, but if I said, hey, who, who do you think is going to win this fight? Everybody in this room would have an answer. You could answer that question because for some reason, everybody's a fight expert, you yes. know? So when we put together fights, my job, because everybody's going to have an opinion right away, right? right? Everybody's going to have an opinion. This guy's going to win. My job is to get you to question That's who awesome. you think is going to win this fight. So I need to gather all the information that I can get on both guys, and then I need to sell you on why this fight isn't going to go the way you think this fight's going to so go. So give us an example of how you've done that with a fight, with a, with a particular ticket that stands out for you that maybe people didn't think was going to go, but you made it go. Well, I would say my best one was Holly Home Ronda Rousey, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I did a really good job with that one. <laughs> you know, that, that Ronda, you know, everybody, when that fight came out, the odds were incredibly huge that Ronda was going to win that fight, and nobody gave Holly a chance, and... Um, said, Ronda's never fought anybody like this. You know, Holly, uh, Holly striking or head kicks or this or that. You know, and, and even, even Joe Rogan came out and said, there's no way Holly Holm wins this fight. Wow. And not only did we sell the fight, but Holly Holm did win the fight. Yeah. And it is true. Yes. You know, you, you, you can go into a fight, especially in mixed martial arts, thinking you know who's going to win. And uh, not always the case. What would you say... Uh you know, you have a mindset. I read you said something like, there are no problems that can't be solved. Anything can be changed. You don't have to be a billionaire. I'm paraphrasing. You don't have to be a millionaire to make shit happen. You've got this mindset of like, somebody says it can't be done. I, I relate completely. Then you want to just rip it open and you do. Where does that come from in you? I don't know, but those are my favorites. I love when people doubt us. I love when people yeah. say no. You know, even, even when we just sold the company. When we sold the company, it's been two years now, Right. We sold the company, and uh, then everybody, all, it's always surrounded by, anything you do positive in your life and anything that's huge, it will immediately be surrounded by negativity, right? Immediately, get ready for it, because no matter how successful you become, one thing never goes away, negativity, haters, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> it's always there, and you have to read it every day, um, how do you keep that from affecting I separate, you? I separate myself from it. Back in the old you days, when we, when we started, I used to read it to the point where I was just nauseous, you know? Yeah. 
I do not read any of that stuff because one of the things that I have learned over, over my many years of doing this, their opinion doesn't matter. Their opinion <laughs> means nothing. Give it up there. It is literally an opinion. It's negative bullshit. And it means nothing to you. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't affect, unless you're the type, sick, twisted type of person like me that likes to let it fuel you. You let it, it's like your, you know, it's like your fuel. And, and, and other than that, it's useless. It means nothing. Everything that the reporters write, everything that these people say, just don't eat, do your thing. Stay on your course, stay focused, and, and, and keep your eye on the prize, and, and, and everything comes together. But, but, I, but I love that stuff. I, 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 so now I just tune it out. I do my thing. When we first bought the company, when, when Ari bought the company, yes. and, and uh, he overpaid for it. Overpaid for it. These guys are in big trouble now. now. Now they have so much debt hanging over their head. They're this, they're that. Their TV deal is up with Fox. You know, all this stuff's going back and forth. So, and, and, and a lot of these things are true. Our TV deal is up with Fox. We do have a lot of debt. But these are all things we knew going into it. You know, and then everybody keeps asking me, why did you stay? You know, when you make that kind of money, you know, there's always this thing about, you know, fuck you money. Everybody knows that term. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to tell the boss to kiss my ass if I ever get that lottery or I hit this or hit that. Problem is you're the boss. <laughs> you're in the, well, no, but you're in the wrong job. If you're looking for fuck you money, you're in the wrong place already. You already know you're not in the right place. Okay? <laughs> Because there's no such thing. I just made more money than I ever dreamed I would make. I don't want to leave. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Listen, I've been on trips and stuff. I can't stand three-day weekends. I hate three-day weekends, man. I'm like, man, I'm, I want Monday to come again. That's how much I love what I do, right? So... That should be, if that's not your mentality every weekend when you're at, at home, like you're dreading Monday, man, stop. Stop and get another job because you're in the wrong place. That, that, that's not healthy for you. So I keep veering off here and going all over the place. No, but, you're perfect. So, <laughs> stay where you are. So I made all this money, um, but Ari gave me my ownership to stay. So I stayed. And, and uh, now the, we, we, we just did a deal with ESPN for $1.5 billion. Five years. Um, five for year five deal. years. Yeah. Now the company's worth $7 billion. Let's have a hand for that, guys. That's incredible. That's right? awesome. What we talked about here, I've been talking to the group here, saying, you know, when I was growing up, people's mentality was, you know, make a fortune and retire. And everybody I know, Warren Buffett, 87 years old, just like you, like me, it's like, what you do is you get financially free and then you just do what you love all the time, harder and more because it makes you feel alive, right? It's not about the economics. But tell me something. I heard from several people, I know Ari as well, and I heard from several people that uh, you didn't really want them to sell, Lorenzo, to sell the company at that time. Right. And then, but then you changed your tune. What, what, why didn't you want him to sell them? I think I know why, I guess why, but why, why, and what changed your tune so that you were supportive of it? Yeah, I didn't want to sell. Uh, so, first of all, when, when you're in that position, we didn't need any money. And, and, and everybody's telling me, oh, my God, you made, you know, $360 million. You made this. You made that. I already had money. I had money. I, I had bought a lot of stuff that I had always wanted. You know, how many people grew up broke? Okay? When, when you grow up broke and you make money, you buy the dumbest 
ever, man. You, you, you go out and buy all the dumb shit that you ever wanted to buy. It's true. And then it just gets boring. You get bored with, I, I know it, when you hear somebody say that, you're like, oh, I won't get bored. You'll get bored. You just get bored of buying stuff and you already have everything. And at the end of the day, it's really about that you love what you're doing and it's about the journey. The people you're doing with it, that you're having fun, you're getting up every day and, and you're all working toward the same goal, whatever it might be, it's a very fulfilling feeling. It really is a very fulfilling feeling because I've been where most people have been. I, I, I've been in the, in, in the shitty job that you're just trying to pay your bills and you're trying to make ends meet and, and, and you're miserable. You're doing it because you have to do it because you have to pay your bills because you need money. Once you break out of that and you find what it is you truly love to do, it's really not work. It's, it's actually fun, and you enjoy every day of your life. And there were days, I went through this thing. I, 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 was, I had really bad insomnia for a long time, and I knew a lot of people that would freak out and go crazy. I loved it. I loved having insomnia. <laughs> My life was so good, I didn't want to sleep. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. Forget you sleeping, man. <laughs> sleeping sucks. I wanted sleep to be up every dead. day doing what sleep I did. When you're and, dead, baby. and I embraced insomnia. I loved it. I loved insomnia. I slept for two, three hours a night, and I had a blast. But, <laughs> but, but when you get to that point in your life, fuck sleeping, man. No way. I want to stay up. You're, I read somewhere your philosophy, your core strategy in business is to be a fighter. What does that mean? Yeah, because I think that, you know, I talk about us as human beings, how we're made up um, and we love fighting, but every one of us is a fighter. Every day you get out of bed, when you get out of bed every morning, right, you get up out of bed, life is standing right there to kick you in the face, ready, leg cocked, ready to go, to kick you in the face, because every day when you get up, bad shit's coming at you, Right? Forget about work, your personal life, everything. Car don't start, the this, the that. Life is ready to get you, you know? And you gotta get up and you gotta fight through that bullshit every day, you have to, you know? If you don't, you can't, you can't roll over, you can't roll over, man. You just get, you gotta fight through all the shit that life throws at you. Then, then you get to a point where life's throwing a bunch of shit at you, now work's throwing a bunch of at you. you know, your, your business that you have to fight for every day. And you have to get up and you have to have that to get up and fight every day, man. And, and once you get into it and you start, and you start fighting, it, it becomes addictive. You actually like it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm so sick and twisted that if my, there's no chaos in my life, I create chaos now. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's very, very it's, scary. It's part of that philosophy, though, fighting too, is that when you're in a fight, there are things you can't predict. And then there's that moment where you see the opening and you take it. Is that also how you look at it in business yeah, too? Oh, absolutely. You, you get yourself in the game and then the moment shows and you're ready for that moment? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I, love, I love competition. I love, uh, I, I love things that, I love adversity. I love when adversity comes at us. I love solving problems. I, I love, you know. Yes. In personal and professional life, I really do like it. Tell us two of the biggest problems you faced with the UFC that you were able to conquer, and what were two of your best victories that stand out for you on this path so far? I know it's not ended. It's got there's much well, the, more to the, do. The victories go on for days. I mean, I could sit there and, and, and talk about victories for days. Um, you know, first getting sanctioned in Nevada, uh, first getting back on pay-per-view, our first uh, big Fox deal, you yeah. know, so many, so many wins and so many great moments and, and things like that. Or some ESPN. moments where it looked like you might not make it, and, but you somehow it was a crossroads and you made it through it. Give us one or two of those then. Well, think about this. 
when, I, when, when we bought this company, ESPN would not cover us, would not right. cover us, wouldn't talk to us, wouldn't meet with us. January 1st, we're on ESPN with one of the biggest deals they've ever cut in combat <laughs> sports history. So, I mean, we so talked about you do wins. That? So how did you convert their culture to your culture? It, it took 18 years. <laughs> it took 18 years of, you know, once something becomes so successful. Yeah, they can't deny it. You just can't deny anymore. Yeah. It just gets to a point. Yeah. And if you look at, you know, the, the thing that we played when you guys were coming out, we got the millennials, you know, we got, this thing is global. It works everywhere. It just got to the point where ESPN. Yeah. Had you know, and, and what starts to happen too, when you have, when we first started this thing, you know, you're talking 2001, right? And you have all these older guys that are in these powerful positions, yeah. okay? All these older guys are in these, and they're set in their ways. They, they, they don't want anything new. They're not looking to rock the boat. They, they, I'm not messing with this stuff. This is, yeah. I don't get it, I don't like it, and I'm never gonna like it. Yeah. Now, if you can figure out how to grind and keep growing and everything else, we finally got on TV on a small little network called Spike that, that, yeah. you know, that had just started at the time. And what happens is younger people start to see it, yeah. right? And then, then they start to take over. Then. Exactly. Yeah. It starts to build, and then those younger people that grew up watching that yeah. are now in these powerful positions, whether it's in the media, whether it's in uh, you know television networks, sponsorship, or whatever it else might be. It's like, ah, it's a UFC. I grew up watching that. You yeah. know, yeah. Not as scary as it was to the older generation yeah. that was on their way out yeah. when yeah. we started. How do you define the UFC culture today? How do I... Define the UFC culture. What is it today? What was it? Oh. What is it? <laughs> Well, when I come into a room with 2,200, you know, people like this, and, and, and I'm like, do you know what, the, you know, I used to go and I would speak at these things, people would have me speak, and I'd say, who here knows what the UFC is? It was like the cricket, <laughs> like six people would raise their hand, like, all righty, uh, I got my work to do here today, you know what I mean? It's like, but now to come into a room like this and women and men of all ages and, you know, know what the UFC is and, and understand it and, you know, it, it's... Uh, it's it's pretty satisfying, you know. It's it's awesome. So that's really cool to 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 be where we are today. And 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 when you think about it, we haven't even scratched the surface of how big this thing can be. We're still going into countries. We, uh, in September, we go into countries? Moscow. Are you in 175 countries right now? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, and we that's go into amazing. Moscow in Russia for the first time. When's that? In September. September. When in September? Huh? When in September? I'm there on September 1st, it's, if I uh, ask September you. September 5th. Oh, 5th? I'll yeah. be gone by that. Okay. Yeah. September awesome. 5th, we're in Russia. Uh, we're going, Korea's building this huge arena. We're going into Korea. Uh, I have a guy right now from China who is really good and looks like this guy could be a world champion. Wow. If that happens, Oh, oh, oh. Oh, tell us about tell, tell us about Conor McGregor and tell us how you manage what what your impression was him initially what you see in him and how you manage things like New York <laughs> and what happened there <laughs> what does that do for you so Conor McGregor um, I go over to Ireland and I, I you know I like to go in all the pubs and all that stuff and we we, we had a pretty good fan base there at that time. And people kept talking to me about Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor. You got to sign Conor McGregor. <clears throat> so I come back, and I talk to my matchmakers. I'm like, who the hell is this Conor McGregor kid? And I'm like, ah, he's a kid. He fights over there in the local shows, whatever. I bring him out to Las Vegas, and I go to dinner with him, right? And I hadn't seen him fight, nothing. I just wanted to meet him. Oh, interesting. So we go to dinner, and I leave this dinner. 
I called my partner, Lorenzo. I said, holy shit. Now, I don't know if this kid can fight, <laughs> but if he can even throw a punch, he's going to be the biggest star anybody's ever seen. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. He's like the I new knew, version of Ali. <laughs> I knew the night that I met that kid. And he ended up being the and real what was deal. it? What was it, the qualities that you saw in him then that we all see? But he just looked. has this unbelievable personality, yeah. his laugh, his sense of humor, his everything. He just Certainty. He has that it factor, that thing that you can't teach anybody. He yeah. just had it. Yeah. He had it in yeah. truckloads. Yeah. How do you manage, because he's now so big and the situation happened in New York, tell people about the situation because they don't know, and how do you <laughs> deal with something like that? Now you got your new fight set up, so. Yeah, these things happen, you know. <laughs> We, we, we talked about this a little earlier, but when you become super famous overnight and you acquire millions and millions of dollars, you get a little crazy. You know, it happens. People <laughs> go a little crazy here and there. It really is. One of the, one of the hard parts, and, and you see it all the time, you know, try to keep the wheels coming off the bus when, when, when everything's going so good. Ego. Ego gets involved. Um... You get to the point where you're like, I, I, I got so much money now. And, yeah. and, and, and some guys make the big mistake and think that they uh, have more money than they really do, right? I mean, how many people in this room have ever thought, if I had a million dollars, okay? I want Mike I Tyson, a half a billion dollars he earned in his career and went bankrupt. Half a billion. Yes, exactly. But people in people's minds, they think that a million dollars is a lot of money, right? If I had a million bucks, I'd be set. Oh, you wouldn't. The government's going to take a big chunk of that, right? Then you're probably going to pay off your house. Family's going to hit you up for money immediately. I can promise you that, okay? After you get done handing out to the government and family, you're going to be like, God damn, a million dollars wasn't as much as I thought it was, right? And, and, and people make that mistake that they think they're set when they're really not. Yeah. You, have to, you have to have some money for a while before you calm down, Sort of, sort of figure things out, and you know. Yes. It's, it's, it's. But how do you deal with situations? How do you deal with it? Because you're having to deal with those pieces, and like you said, it happens to. Them. I always have to deal with personalities. Yeah. I, I, think so about tell us, this. what's your secret deal with large personalities? So, so, so I have 550 fighters under contract. Wow. Men and women. Wow. Okay. I have 300 employees, men and women, that I have to deal with every day. You know, and you have to manage expectations. You have to. Um, you know, deal with different types of personalities, not just the famous and rich ones, but, you know, the ones that work for you. Yes. Um, you know, it's... it's, it's you've, a you've become a practical psychologist and a fighter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and really, what it, what, it, what it really takes is you have to be a leader. Yeah. You have to be a leader and you have to get people to believe as you believe and to want the, the dream as bad as you want the dream. And you have to, you know... It's great to have a bunch of people in your place working, but you want you want enthusiastic people Passion. that love what they're doing yeah. as much as you know. Those are the type of people you want, and that's that's you know that's the type of shop we've run since the day we opened. What makes somebody a great leader? Tell me, what are the qualities of a great leader in your experience? Yeah, you have those qualities, and but you also have to you can't do it yourself. You have a group of leaders you have to run an organization. Yeah. What makes somebody a great leader? Well, I think, I think part of it is setting by example. I think that they have to see that you're out there willing, you know, don't just come up here and tell us a bunch of bullshit. And, you know, yeah. they have to believe that you truly believe, and that's truly, you're, you're as in love and as passionate about what you're talking and about. And you'll do whatever it takes. Exactly. Yeah. And you go out, and, and if you hire right, you're hiring the same type of people as you. And, and, and the world 
doesn't, listen, I can't have a group, of, like a whole 300 people working for me that all want to be me. Yeah. Then you can't have a whole group of people working for you that want to be managers. You got to have people that, listen, you got to have the people that, I want nine to five, right? I'm not staying at 502. I want nine to five, and I want my, my weekends off. Oh, and all my holidays, too. <laughs> yeah. You need those people. Then you need the people that, that, that want to be managers and manage a department and do things like that. And then you have to have people that want to, you know, the part of the executive team. It takes all types to run a business, especially a business as big as this. In addition to that passion and going first, what other qualities need to be effective as a leader in your mind? God, it's, it's so hard for me to answer that question. I, I don't know exactly what it is to sit here and talk about myself. You do it instinctively. My, but to talk about myself as a leader, I, I don't know. Well, talk about somebody else as a leader that you respect. <coughs> or qualities um, do you see? When you see someone, yeah, you say. Yeah, I, I mean, I would have to look at people that have been close to me. The Fertitta brothers are yes. great leaders, great yes. leaders. These guys run multiple different businesses, you know, and, and, and you have to deal with all kinds of different wacky personalities. I'm a wacky personality that they had to deal with <laughs> at, at, at one point or time. You know, um, it, it, it's, it's, you have to be able to talk to people. You have to be able to motivate people. You have to uh, be able to get people to believe as you believe in what they're doing to love it as much as you do. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in, in my experience, that, that's, that's what it takes. That's it's awesome. worked for me. The Tony Robbins Podcast is directed and hosted by Tony Robbins. Annie Yorg is our editorial director and occasional host. Our executive producer is Hollis Tuma. Jamie Carvajal and Adriel De La Torre are our digital editors. Copyright Robbins Research International.